Welcome to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com, dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. Serving leaders, managers, and people who will be, helping you reach excellence in your work and achieve your personal goals at the same time. Sign up for the free course at clearandopen.com. So the answer to the question, what would Joseph do, which sometimes takes Joseph several days to figure out, is notice the disappointment, notice the resistance to disappointment that inevitably is in us, accept the disappointment as being part of life, and then operate inside the parameters that you have. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for tuning in to Manage to Engage, the podcast from clearandopen.com. Today, I want to share a story with you, a parable of sorts, about my neighbor and I. It's the story of how I first started managing my disappointment, at least intentionally, and accepting the truth in the idiom, you can't choose your neighbors. I offer weekly member webcasts, online courses, and mentorship at clearandopen.com because it's my truth that with the right tools, anyone can eliminate the people, money, and time problems holding them back in business. And I share parts of these webcasts and courses on this show because I want to help you too. If you're enjoying the show and learning from it, I'd love your feedback. If you're listening to the show on an Apple device, all you have to do is open the podcast app, view the full description of this episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review for the show. Thanks so much for listening. Let's start the show. You know, my neighbor to the south, you know, if I grew up in Texas, went to Vietnam and was raised the way he was, I'd probably be just like him, right? Those are his values. Interestingly, he's also a Tibetan Buddhist. <laughs> so, so before he became a Tibetan Buddhist, he probably was really crazy. At least now he has the mental ideas. Oh, this is really interesting. He, um, oh, I, I remember, yeah, I remember the confrontation I had with him or the carefrontation I had with him. So uh, there's this road drama here. We all live off of what are classified as old government roads, unquote. So they're not the responsibility of the state, they're not responsibility of the county, and they're not property of the homeowners. They're just no man's land. They're like from mid-1800s old government roads, and no one will take responsibility for them and no one will maintain them. But there's this whole code you know, where you, know, you can sort of lobby the county, and if you get a certain number of signatures, they may divert funds to it. But anyway, so I live on a, off of a kilometer-long dirt road. That because it rains about 130 inches or 130 inches of water a year, it's it gets beat up pretty badly. So sometimes the county has fixed it up. Sometimes the neighbors get together and trying to get people organized to handle it is um, like herding cats. So one of my neighbors had the idea of there's this other road that's in really bad shape. Like I can barely do it in my lifted Tacoma, but I can do it. You know, if I don't mind having a sore neck for a day. That goes, uh, it's a thousand feet instead of 3,000 feet. And he said, why don't we put a lot of money into that instead of a little money into the road we all use? Because the water doesn't flow through this road. If we fix that short one up, it will um, last a lot longer. It'll need less uh, repairs. It's, it's shorter. It goes to a paved road. It's a long way around, but it goes shorter to maintain. And there's not piles of water going through it and creating these, you know, six foot ditches over time. It's a cool idea. Makes sense to a lot of us. Hey, you know, 
higher investment, but cheaper long-term. Well, my crazy neighbor, Gary, he lives off of this road. His house is basically right on that road that nobody uses. So of course, he doesn't want that road being used. Uh, And he's threatened to sue the moment anyone puts a piece of equipment on that road. Along with one other guy who's basically the only two people who live on that road. So I was talking to him uh, about it on the phone one day and, uh, and he hung up on me at one point. I was just, just asking questions like, oh, well, you know, what, what do you think the solution is? And just being like that. And he just got frustrated and was like, I don't have time for this. And he hung up. And uh, I texted him and I said, I'm sure we both want to have a really good relationship as neighbors. And being hung up on, uh, to me, isn't a way to create that. That was my way of standing for myself without pissing him off, which I did not want to do. It's not worth it. 10 minutes later, he's at my door. He drives to my place down the hill. I'm like, oh, who's that? I thought it was a yard worker of mine. No, it's a different white truck. Oh, it's my neighbor Gary who's trespassing on my land. Okay. So he needs, he says, I don't like the phone anyway. Not, not apologizing for hanging up on me because I don't like the phone. It's kind of towering over me. And he explains, uh, you know, the situation and the rain, he explains his point of view. And I said, uh, and, and at a certain point he said, I forget how it came up, but he said a few times to me that the other neighbors in this valley um, don't invite him over and aren't nice to him and, and all of that. And uh, yeah, right. It's laughable, right? And he, he brought it up again in relationship to organizing the road. And I said, you know, Gary, there've been a couple of times that I've heard you say, I've heard you complain about how the other people in this valley uh, aren't kind to you and, and aren't you know welcoming and don't invite you over and stuff. And if you're interested to get some feedback, I think I know why that might be. So I asked permission. I didn't just tell him. I said, I know something here, I think. Inside me, I was thinking, I know exactly what's going on, but I'm going to hold it loosely, open hand, either grasping or pushing away, and see if they'll ask for it. And he kind of paused. And he said, well, what do you, what do you, what do you think? What do you mean? I said, well, you kind of rub people the wrong way. And I know you're from Texas and you just tell it like it is. And I know you're strong and you're opinionated and I respect that. But some people don't like to be pushed around. And I know you don't experience that you're pushing people around, but you're a powerful guy. And so what for you, what feels like just a nudge to other people feels like a punch sometimes, I think. And he said something so funny that told me that he was not open to any feedback. And I'll probably never give him any feedback again. Being the Tibetan Buddhist that he is, <laughs> this is the kind of Tibetan Buddhist that he is. He told me the story. And he was like, literally, like as soon as he got what he, he wanted, we were on my doorstep. I invited him to come in. He refused. He was going to dinner with his wife somewhere. And as soon as he got out what he wanted to say, uh, and I said what I want to say. We were walking. He's like, come on, I, I got to go. We're walking. He wouldn't even stop. So he has to have total control over the conversation, over the environment. That's what eights do. So he wouldn't even stop and listen. So we're literally walking to his truck. And then by the time I'm 
by the time I'm, uh, I'd said what I just said, he was already in, you know, behind the wheel and like, you know, shifting in a reverse. And so he says, as he's going away, he, he goes, do you know the story about the two monks and, and the woman? Cause I guess he knows I know some Zen and probably not all of you know the, the story. So I'll recount it here, even though he referred to it briefly. So two monks uh, are uh, walking down a, a path and there's a, uh, a, a woman who's on one side of a really big mud puddle and that covers the whole road. And she's stuck there trying to decide how to get across. And um, one of the monks, without uh, saying a word, just immediately picks her up and uh, walks through the mud puddle that's like, you know, almost knee deep and puts her down and the two monks walk off. And after uh, they continue to walk for a couple of hours and uh, the monk who did not pick the woman up finally turns to the monk that, that did pick the woman up and says, hey, you know, we have vows related to touching women and relating with, with members of the opposite sex. Like, you know, I, I can't believe you picked that woman up. And the, uh, the monk said, uh, I only carried the woman for 20 seconds. You've been carrying her for three hours. And that's the story. So he referenced this story saying, if I've rubbed people the wrong way in this neighborhood, they're still carrying it and that's their problem, not mine. Which was kind of a cool moment because I actually know the story and know what it actually means. And he used it as a total excuse to be an asshole. (laughs) But in that moment, I went, oh, I see. So you're using Tibetan Buddhism to transcend your impact on people so that you can have a sense of peace about who you are and you don't have to give a shit about anyone else. Uh Uh-huh. Well, that's disappointing. (laughs) Because here he is, a Tibetan Buddhist, and I wouldn't say I'm a Buddhist um, because to say you're a, a Buddhist means you're not a Buddhist according to the esoteric teachings of Buddhism. But I would li- I will, I like to think, he gave me a tour of his house. He was very generous. He gave me like a two-hour tour of his 13 acres. It was really cool. As eights tend to be very generous as long as they're in total control. Um, so you, you, you want to give them that sense of control so that you can get what you want. It's really the only way to manage a bully and occasionally draw lines. Um, yeah, so that was the moment where I went, oh, well, okay, now I know what the limit is. Now I know the parameters in which I can operate with this guy. Now I know the limits. And yeah, to be honest, that was before I had knew about this distinction with disappointment. It definitely affected me for a couple of days. I was like, oh, I was crestfallen. But you can't choose your neighbors. And it could be worse. So the answer to the question, what would Joseph do, which sometimes takes Joseph several days to figure out, if not longer, is notice the disappointment, notice the resistance to disappointment that inevitably is in us, accept the disappointment as being part of life, and then operate inside the parameters that you have. Okay, this person is not who I want them to be, who I prefer them to be. Well, who are they actually, as best as I can tell? And what's a notice or a nudge I can do to see if I can urge them into another direction? Thanks for listening to Manage to Engage, the clear and open podcast. 
Join us next week when you'll be a little bit closer to who you're destined to be. Until then, know that Clear and Open is dedicated to the evolution of you because businesses grow when people do. If you want to help the show grow, I'd appreciate you leaving a rating and review on iTunes. All you have to do is open the Apple Podcasts app, view the full description of the episode, and click the link to leave a rating and review. Or you can go to clearandopen.com slash review, and it will bring you to the right place. If you're looking for more support on your journey, head over to clearandopen.com for even more tools, articles, and free resources. Thanks so much for listening. Bye for now.